Welcome, everybody, to The Breakdown once again here on Canadian Football Perspective. Thank you for being a part of the show. We appreciate you for being here, taking part with us, having some fun with us. At DT on OB is on the other side of the Zoom call. As always, Derek is fresh off a beatdown. We are recording this on a Friday uh, because we wanted to allow... Whatever was going to happen in Winnipeg, BC, the marquee game, really, I think, of the week, for obvious reasons, to play out. Uh, boy, did it ever play out, DT. How was your night? 50. <laughs> Honestly, I, I went into the game, uh, Bombers and Lions, not having any real idea what was going to happen. Most yeah. games, I know, okay, what's going to happen. And in week three, when BC was in Winnipeg, I thought, man, the Bombers are going to mash this team into a fine paste. The offense has put up more than 40, or the team has put up more than 40 the last two weeks. This is going to be amazing, and they just got lumped. So in week nine was the game I thought we might see in week number three. And there are a million extenuating factors as as to why that was, but this is the Bombers offense Bomber fans thought they could see. Best receiving core, best quarterback. The offensive line was phenomenal on Thursday night. Phenomenal versus what happened in week number three. This is the the Bombers team I think Bombers fans knew was in there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm always amazed in the CFL. It's kind of one of my bones to pick, really, with like our coverage of the league at large, whether it's CSN or otherwise, just like, you know, CFL.ca, anybody that does local radio like you is that, I, I love the CFL for this, and I also kind of hate it. The games we build up to be the game, the big one, the, very rarely deliver. Very, very rarely, because you end up getting, like, you know, this team, oh, these are two Titans up. No, Winnipeg, significantly better. Like, it, it looked like it last night. They just, in, in every phase, in every way, back when BC played so well against them, kind of felt like Winnipeg had just an incredibly out-of-character anomaly game and then we all took that as, well, it looks like BC is the better team for the remainder of the year. That's the way it's going to be. And it's like, it's not that BC doesn't have a chance to make noise in the playoffs and to push Winnipeg for the remainder of the season. I think we all respect them greatly, despite what happened last night. But it's like, that version of BC that we saw last night, no chance of beating Winnipeg when they play anything remotely close to that. The thing that I always find funny in the CFL is when we blow these marquee games up, they rarely deliver. The ones that sometimes do deliver is like, a gross, grimy Montreal-Ottawa game in week 17 that goes to overtime. You know what I mean? Like, it's I don't think anybody saw Hamilton-Calgary last year being the fantastic matchup that it was. I mean, Calgary and Saskatchewan always play each other very closely, it seems like, whether it's because of the Dickinsons or otherwise. But they had a game earlier this year that goes into overtime that was sensational. Uh, And it's always the ones that you, you don't really expect that make you go, man, I love this league. This is so much fun. I find so often when we really try to put it on a tee, it has a hard time living up to it. And I even felt bad last night because like, and rightfully so Dwayne, my buddy in his analysis was going Matthew Betts. Look at this incredible performance in the pregame hit that he did. He was like, Matthew Betts, he gets off the ball. He gave them trouble. This is what happened. We'll see if it happens again. Pregame. He highlights Matthew Betts in the introduction, all the rest. And then as the game goes on, you're watching it and Dwayne is doing a great job of highlighting. Okay. Here's how they're dealing with Betts throughout the night. It was like, he wasn't on the field. Mm-hmm. And it's to me, that's the difference with Winnipeg between the team we saw that was like, whoa, what type of Bombers team is this early in the season that's losing to BC and giving up all these pressures and Claris on the ground every five seconds versus, no, that's the Winnipeg team that we know. Like, Matthew Betts should not be leading the CFL in sacks. Like, Willie Jefferson should be at or near the top as he has been throughout this year because he's Willie Jefferson and he gets home to the quarterback a lot. It's just funny to me how sometimes we look at the 
the big picture of it. And it's like, it, sometimes it almost feels like we curse it where we hype it so much that it has no, <laughs> no chance of delivering. It's, it was just such a turn, right? Uh, my, the Bombers were minus 24 in the first game. They were plus 36 in this one. A 60-point swing in the span yeah. of six weeks. And so much of that, and the, there were things that I made sure to point out on the post-game show. Like, when we get to the third matchup on October 6th, I will I will remember that BC was on four days rest for this one, and the Bombers were coming off a bye. Yeah. I, I don't know how much of that plus 36 was accounted for by that, but certainly some, because like you say, Matthew Betts had one tackle when I last saw the stats, and that's not Matthew Betts in that game. We spent so much of the two-hour pregame show talking about what the defensive line had done to the Bombers in week three. Seven sacks, the first time in a Kolaris game there had been more than five. By my count, 14 quarterback pressures. The only time this season it got over nine. Uh, Kolaris was not under pressure. I have a chart of the game five, six times maybe um and not sacked at all like and and there wasn't i didn't really see on first glance anything special the bombers did there wasn't you know there wasn't more sixth offensive lineman than they would normally run there wasn't more fullback than they would normally run they didn't run the ball particularly effectively with the running back early on in that game that came later that was honestly i just walk away from that going they didn't run a bunch of stick routes right five yards and bam get the ball out of his hands they're hammering the ball 71 yards downfield to yeah. Dalton shown right off the bat. Right. So it, I, the only thing I could take away and not having reviewed it is those five offensive linemen just played so much better than they did in the first game. Uh, there wasn't Matthew Betts speed rushing Stanley Bryant inside. If he tried to do it, it didn't work because we didn't notice him. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the home run shots that you mentioned, oh. like like it, inc- to me, yes, my takeaway is the offensive line was significantly better, but it's also like Zach went into that obviously pissed off about the way that it unfolded earlier in the season. And Zach, without being angry, is a really good quarterback. Zach pissed off is the MOP runaway. And when he plays angry and with an intention to break your spirit, that's how you get shown and oh you don't like that here's Dembski drop it in the bucket or I'm going to go over the top to Lawler for an offensive pass interference that wasn't because the defensive back just overran the play like all of these to me are great examples of Zach's downfield aggression and we're often talking so much about how do we get scoring up should we squeeze the hashes should we do this or that or to try and create offense what you need to create offense is to have quarterbacks like Zach Kalaros and a system like Winnipeg that's not scared to go down the field because they trust the people that they're targeting down the field to play the ball mm-hmm. well in the air. And if you miss a big throw, you'll come back and you'll make good on the next one. And like, I remember throughout the start of the season, I think it was when I had BC on July 3rd against the Argonauts. I was going through the numbers on passes of 20 yards or more down the field, opposing offenses against BC on passes of 20 plus in the air were one of 14. So I went, <laughs> I went back and filtered that and said, well, what was the one? And it was Carlton Agadosi in the first quarter against the BC Lions from that game that turned into a blowout. I don't know if there was anything there that they saw that they leaned on more in this game. I don't, like, whatever the adjustments were that Winnipeg made, they obviously worked. But when I came away from watching the first quarter of the game here on Thursday night, it's almost a, it's, it's a, it's a month to the day that I looked up that number of one of 14. How many do you think they gave up last night in the first quarter? Four? Yeah. Right. And yeah, like they went the, the first, drive, right? They went the first month of the season giving up one. And then they just go like it was 
this was not death by a thousand paper cuts. This was death by the largest knife possible through your heart. And then just keep next one through the heart, next one through the, and to the point where it, <laughs> I love Dustin Nielsen last night at one point. It's just like, that's a good old fashioned blowout is like, it, this is <laughs> everything that you would ever expect to see in a blow between two of the top teams in the West division. Well, and think about how improbable some of that was. And just the, the balls that it takes from, uh, from Buck Pierce and Zach Kalaris. They get the ball because of a return penalty for their opening drive. They get the ball in the 10. They take a procedure call in the first play. They're at their five-yard line. What do they do on first and 15 from their own five with the goalpost in the way? They throw a 37-yard shot to Kenny Lawler. He spins to his outside to make the catch in pretty good coverage. The very next play, first and 10 from now, the 42, whatever it was, boom, 70-plus to Dalton shown. And in two plays, they cover 105 yards. You know, that is... That's some stones, because if that first one to Lawler is not complete, you're in a massive hole, and you right. may give up points on the ensuing drive. And it was very noticeable how Zach was forcing deep balls to Kenny Lawler. Yeah. Like, he caught, I think, if it was the touchdown one, that defender was shoulder to shoulder with Lawler, and he just he, he beat him for the ball. And then going uh, left to right, he tried to force one to him in the end zone where Kenny was not particularly open, but you're like, he doesn't, these two, Kalaris and Lawler, they don't care if Kenny's not really open because they fully believe he's going to find a way to get open or get that football. And 200 yards uh, in, a, in a game, plus a pass interference call drawn, uh, plus he drew another penalty as well. You're like, oh, Kenny had a real, maybe yeah. the biggest impact any receivers had in a single game this season. I love the one in the back left corner of the end zone where Zach just gave him an opportunity and he got knocked away by Jalen Edwards Cooper. That's and, the one. Yeah, but I love that one because Kenny got up just laughing. He was like, dude, he threw it out of bounds. Like he was doing the whole like put the sword back in the holster and like all the DB things of like throw up the X and then this with this guy, the big Ben handshake and all that. I'm like, and you could just tell Kenny's like, dude, I have like 200 yards. What are you yeah. doing? Like I'm, I'm owning the game right now. You made one play on a ball. I had no chance to catch because it was out of bounds. But um, I wanted to ask you. There's a couple questions I want to hear asked because you are obviously boots on the ground and you're you're following this as close as anybody out there. The first thing is um, Kenny's delayed start to the season, getting him up to speed and back on the same page with Zach. I bring this up because talking in the in the CFL and TSN zooms with Cody Fajardo uh, yesterday ahead of the Saturday night Montreal Hamilton game. Basically it's like Austin Mack is a game time decision. Uh, you've got Kayon Julian Grant out of the game. Well, those two guys count for 60 plus percent of their pass targets so far on the year. So where the hell Montreal is going to throw the football? I'm not sure against Hamilton. I do know against Hamilton, they're vulnerable to the pass. Their back end has been struggling and the completion percentage for teams on deep shots is really, really high. And the pass efficiency is really high against the Tiger Cats uh, defensive secondary. So, you know, they're going to take their shots. Maybe it's Tyler Sneed, but, I mean, he had those three touchdowns against Toronto. We'll see. You would expect to see maybe Herjie Mayala gets more targets. But the reason I bring all of this up is I said, like, you know, Tyson Philpot needs to get some more love here. His first game back, I said, Cody, like, what was the deal with, with getting Tyson back? He goes, well, it was weird because he wasn't cleared to play until day three of practice. I hadn't thrown a ball to him since the second day of training camp before the game against Calgary on Sunday night. And he's like, so we didn't have any timing or chemistry whatsoever. And I, I bring up Tyson and Cody as a way to segue into Kenny and Zach. They know each other. They've played together before. They've spent full seasons together. But this year specifically, 
you would have to think that there would be some more of that recreating that bond between the two. Um, how how slow developing has that been? And is this just status quo for the remainder of the year, what we saw against the Lions? Yeah, I, it was it was pretty quick this year, right? Because they spent yeah. the entire 21 season together. And then when Zach went to Winnipeg uh, very late in 2019, they would have played that time together. But all of 21, they were together. And, and when it came to Lawler returning to Winnipeg, he was just so jacked about playing with Zach for all the reasons that well they we tried to get him back think. in 22 at the trade deadline right like exactly exactly for because hey he could put up 200 and a touchdown and they, they who who knows what would have resulted uh from the season had they been able to make that one work so in training camp right away like Lawler's the X boom let's let's feed him the ball he had a fantastic touchdown catch in the preseason game against Edmonton before his legal troubles jumped back in and caused him cost him the first six games but like he had nine targets last week in a season debut. Yeah. That that was absolutely we're like, is he going to ease Kenny into the game? Or are they going to try to, you know, get him a gimme touchdown to make him feel good? No, nope, he's just going to hammer the ball to Lawler whenever he feels like it, because he they feel Kenny is so dominant physically and, and everywhere else that they're just going to they're just going to we're up to speed right now. And, uh, you know, Lawler feels great about it. Uh, Kolaris is unbelievable like he was <laughs> he was just ridiculous last night yeah um yeah it's it, no they fear though they, right they, none none whatsoever yeah. not like this was one when shown catches that uh 73 yard touchdown whatever it was uh i'm sure you've seen the stats too because the cfl has a bunch of them but shown on uh his catch rate is super low this season it's it's in the 50s because on deep balls 20 yards plus downfield he had four catches on 17 targets. <laughs> there were a couple of drops in there. There's some overshoots. There's some good defensive plays, but four on 17 targets. And you go, okay, that's, 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 that's low. And not, that's just bad luck low to some degree as well. Yeah. Uh, didn't care. Here you go. Here's one 45 yards downfield and shown just a fantastic catch at full speed and pulls away. And you go, Zach doesn't care. Like Zach does in, in the way that, I, I don't care what's happened before this point. I know what these guys can do. So I, I don't care about the first eight weeks. Dalton shown is a big play receiver. Boom. Here you go. Yeah. Now, I was just looking up the average depth target going into last night uh, because, yeah, I mean, the thing people have to understand is when you see completion percentage, when targeting a single receiver, it very much matters what their depth of target is because that's going to change the whole dynamic, right? The, the highest average going into week nine was Dominique Grimes from BC, uh, 18 catches on 34 targets, an average depth of target of 20.5 yards. <laughs> uh, down, Is that for, oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, for the entire season. I'm just trying to find where Dalton Schoen is here in this list. He is at 17.8. Yeah, yeah, so so he is uh t looks like tied for yeah tied for second in the CFL in average depth of target. So that checks out, right? Like, um, and also because of the number of targets that Shone gets and the average depth of target, he actually led the CFL in total depth yards. Right when you add together all of those averages and the number of targets, nine hundred and twenty four yards worth of targets going into last night, and that number easily is above a thousand at this point after last night's game as well. So. Um, yeah, that's it's an interesting dynamic between Lawler coming in, Sean being there, Dembski. Uh, it'll be oh, very, very Dembski fun to watch. I, I know Dembski's just that. Dembski's dude. awesome. <laughs> no, what I, I do have one thing that I get frustrated watching Nick play. This Hit is a total. This is a totally unfair criticism because he's awesome. 
in the open field, my man makes terrible decisions. Like <laughs> I, I love watching him catch it on a screen or, you know, a tunnel screen or, or they slip him out of the backfield or they shovel it to him underneath or it's on a counter on a runner. He leads the CFL in the last five years of him touching the ball and you see the roadrunner feet starting to go and you see how many blockers are out in front and you're like, oh shit, he's going to score. And then he runs right into three people and you're like, damn it. Come on, Nick. <laughs> like they set him up for so much success. And I love when he gets in the open field, but there was a run. I want to say it was in 21. He had like three or four straight games where he should have had a touchdown. Uh, and every time he'd like, you know, catch a little five yard in, be running across the, he'd be like looking for a block. And then all of a sudden he'd be like, stutter, 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 turn back the other direction and run into two people. And you're like, ah, damn it. Like I, I could never do anything he does. Never could, yeah. even at the height of my powers. But there's so many times where I'm like, I just want you to have 20 touchdowns in a year because it feels like you could, if you could just make people not even miss in the open field. Cause he does. If you could just make the right decision sometimes in the open field, cause he's so good. Oh, so good. Dembski on the corner route. I, we had him on the post game show a couple of, couple of games ago. And I said, the words I've said the most is the voice of the bombers are Dembski on the corner route because man, he, he sells the crap out of that thing. And he has hit just about every dime defensive back with that, with that move. Uh, Moncrief, Ragum, just all of them last season. He just, he just toasted them all. And you go, God, he's, Man, he's special, and oh, oh, by the way, he's one of Winnipeg's finest. Yes, uh, not uh, not to be overshadowed as well. Zach Kolaros, not overly active on social media, but he tweeted out after that over-the-shoulder catch in the end zone last night. It's not the Willie Mays anymore; it's the Dembski. And uh, you think back about it, like if they ever build a statue of Nick anywhere in Manitoba, it's probably got to be looking over the shoulder and having it drop right down into his hands, right? Because, like that, to me is he's caught whether it's whether it's from the field side where he's playing the inside slot in a three pack or a four pack, and he's running that deep over crossing route, or if it's the corner route from the boundary, he catches it over the shoulder and gears down to catch it over the shoulder as well as anybody I think that I've seen in the CFL while I've been covering it, which is yeah. you know up on a decade at this point. And it's just, there's nobody like him when he, he plays the ball. Can we agree? He plays the ball in the air as well as anybody in the CFL. I would have to say like, maybe not jump ball wise, but in terms of understanding like time and space and when to accelerate and when to slow down and when to yeah. use his hands and when to late hands to try and fool the defensive back. Oh, like, I think yeah. he's just so crafty with playing the ball in the air. His, I'm glad you said late hands because he he's just, you really noticed that a couple times this year where he's running the, the deep crosser and then it's just boop because yeah. the ball, I'm not tipping anything off. And you're like, Whoa, I've said, Whoa, late hands from Dembski. And it, it takes Takes me a second to process. Oh yeah, he 100% means to do that, and I just I don't know how he does that as well, right? But like in in baseball, like it's the Jim Edmonds catch in in football, like the straight over the top one is is just the worst. Impossible. The, looking looking this way, fine, but straight over the top is just the the worst. Rashid Bailey just about broke his spine trying to do one a game <laughs> ago because he bent so far backward. But yeah, I. I I struggle to think of anybody who has the same over the top skills as Dembski. I think that's a good pull by you because he is, he is fantastic. Oh man. He's yeah, good. He's, he's fun to watch. He's so good. Uh, the other question I want to ask you here before we move off Winnipeg is, um, you know, I talked about pissed off Kalaros being pretty dangerous. Winnipeg has some of the best fans and the best crowd in the CFL. You can tell whether you're in person or you're watching on the television. And last night felt 
even up 20, up 25, up 30. It was kind of an angsty crowd. It felt like because of what happened against BC early in the year. In person, did it feel different to you last night? The crowd itself, the energy, the enthusiasm, the hell yeah, we are still the Bombers? Because that was what I was feeling coming through the television. We had a lot of crowd shots of people who you're up 30 points and there's a pass interference call or even the, uh, you know, Woody Barron jumping through the line of scrimmage and trying to convince everybody. No, no, no. I, I, I swear I saw something. And yeah. then, they, then they call offside against him and he starts laughing and the crowd is like, ah! like, <laughs> like, no, no. Yeah. We, like the, the crowd was not giving an inch at all to BC last night. They wanted every single little oh. piece of that game they could get. Hundred percent. Uh, they yeah. were they were still mad at every call uh, on the Woody Barron one. Chris Kolinkowski, as he's coming off, admitted, "Yeah, I flinched." But the <laughs> officials got Woody Barron. So uh, bless our, our reporter Christian Amell for picking that one up from the sidelines. Uh, so Woody was Woody was not incorrect with his uh, assessment of that. But no, uh, the fans were in it to the to the end. And yeah, everything that went BC's way that maybe was close, yeah, uh, they were angry at. When Big Hill gets gets penalized for hitting Keon Hatcher too hard, people furious. Yeah. furious. Totally clean hit. It just happened to be a 6.4 on the Richter scale. Furious. Yeah. Even up 36, furious. Because, yeah, hey, by the way, yeah, this is this is the best game the Bombers have played this season on offense and defense. And stop trying to take that away from us. We're celebrating. It was it was impressive. Uh there are, though it was a 50 burger, as I kept saying on the radio, 50. Points. <laughs> there were still some things that you go. Hmm, I wonder if uh, I wonder when Janarian Grant can come back because Greg McRae's struggling to catch that football, and that's not a great sign for a guy you want to be a returner. But so uh, I, I fell into the. It wasn't perfect, but it was pretty pretty damn great for uh, for the Bombers last night. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Before we move on to the rest of the games, the week here and week number nine, just want to point out to our good friends, Fox 40, helping us out here on CFP. You can master your game plan with Fox 40 coaching boards. Choose from a range of clipboards and carry boards to help with your sideline needs. Visit fox40shop.com to shop coaching boards and more. Take 15% off your entire order using the code CFP15. Uh, It is Toronto Calgary coming up this evening here on a Friday night football matchup out West. Bit of a short week. Uh, for Calgary, they're also coming off, you know, basically the zero practice kind of week. And they've also been going through some injuries and all the rest. So we'll see what they end up looking like. Toronto still undefeated coming off of touchdown Atlantic. And then they travel back and then they travel West. Uh, I am, I'm really looking forward to seeing, and I, I could say this every week, but Chad Kelly versus the opposing quarterback this week, it happens to be Jake Mayer. And the reason I'm I'm in, wondering about that is that Jake Mayer is, extremely resilient, sometimes makes some questionable decisions, puts the ball in some not so great spots. Uh, But he just keeps battling and battling and battling. And I think of Chad Kelly very much the same way. He doesn't really have the same questionable decision-making because I feel like they're really trying to coach into Chad where to put the football at the right time, at the right spot. But both of these guys kind of have the makeup for what could be a really fun game, which is whatever happens, they just keep playing. They don't really fold. Their body language doesn't change. They just keep slinging and slinging and slinging. And it's the thing that we saw from Dustin Crum up up against Calgary in the Ottawa win out there in overtime. But it's not necessarily the same way because Crum obviously a little bit more of the run game focus. And I feel like this might be the game where Chad gets an opportunity, especially with Dinwiddie and Mace and like the understanding of what Calgary does and trying to take advantage of some of those things. 
when the Argonauts have gone out West in the last couple of years, it seems like there's been a little bit more risk taken by Toronto than if they were saying, you know, playing say on the road in Montreal or something like that. I think it has the potential for a really fun one, whether or not it turns out, we'll find out tonight. Yeah. Mayor's so interesting. I was just looking at props for, for tonight's game and, Oh, Jake Mayer to not throw an interception was like plus two twenty five. So basically, they're saying that there's a there's a thirty percent chance he doesn't throw an interception somewhere around there. And I went, well, that really? Tor- that Toronto Mayer? turnover margin like differential yeah. is blowing my mind. And every time I go through and I do the weekly stats when I'm making my prep boards, I'm like, oh yeah, here's the turnover margin, and Toronto's plus sixteen, twelve turnovers ahead of the second place team. I'm like, how in the hell have they done this? Yeah, and it to- it's totally unsustainable, right? The the record I was just seeing if I could pull it up. It the the record for turnover ratio in a season is maybe in the maybe in the thirties. So it's it's not going to be it's not going to be like that forever. But uh, bless their hearts, they've driven that to six wins. Oh, pardon me. Uh, best turnover ratio was Edmonton at eighty one. They were plus forty. One, plus forty one. <laughs> Yikes! Can you imagine? Yeah, I I He's- have been told. Uh, by Matthew Shinetti, who was talking to Josh Bell, the defensive backs coach with the Argonauts. They've set their goal this year, not necessarily in terms of turnover margin, because you can't control what the offense is going to do and if they're going to be giving the ball away. In terms of takeaways, the Argonauts have set their goal at 40 for the season. Toronto wants 40 takeaways on the season. That's that's what yeah. they're aiming for. The 1995 Edmonton Elks had 87 takeaways. <laughs> Wow, football is a different game now. Oh my gosh, that is stark. Edmonton in '89 had 84 takeaways as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's. I'm I'm wondering how many three down, third down turnovers are included in that, and yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Toronto, Toronto's defense. As I look at, it, I'm like, oh, the offense is fine. The defense is fire, right? Uh, and BC. Here's the thing that uh, that after the BC Winnipeg game made me think is, I feel like I'm going to need to discount. Toronto, BC, and Winnipeg, uh, their games against every team that's not Toronto, BC, and Winnipeg. I feel yeah. like I'm just going to need to discount that because looking at BC's past schedule, they got lumped by Toronto. They hammered Winnipeg. That's a that's a quality win, but it's also a quality loss. And then there's five other games of like, well, who the hell cares? It's These are bad teams. They shut out Edmonton twice. Shutouts are great, but Edmonton is not a good football team right now. Win against Calgary, blah, blah, blah. The bomber schedule. Okay, they beat Hamilton week one. They lost to Ottawa. Ugh, okay, there's there's a bad loss, at least record wise in that one and situation wise as well. Losing to BC. BC's a good team. Fine. They lump BC. BC's a good team. Quality win, quality loss. I feel like I'm just going to start dis- discounting games against the other six teams and just figure Toronto, BC, and Winnipeg. Whoever wins the season series is maybe the best team in the CFL. Because uh, there's just not a lot else. Like if Toronto goes to seven and zero because they pick off Mayor twice and and generally beat Calgary into oblivion, I'll be like, okay, yeah, that's kind of kind of what what I thought. Toronto has not been real healthy, and I mean, yet they roll right. Question mark at quarterback coming into the season, not real. I not really a question right now with Chad Kelly because everything seems pretty good, but. I need to see him get tested. I need to see the Winnipeg game coming up in late September. And then I need to see the playoffs, but fantastic Toronto. They're just a horse right now. I I agree. Fantastic. This was a conversation I had with somebody um, 
in in the league basically like a week ago though was okay Toronto hasn't really shown any deficiencies and I wrote a piece for CFL.ca this week where Christina Costable asked me to you know can you attack why the Argos are 6-0 kind of thing and so I gave it some thought and instead of doing you know the hardcore numbers analytical breakdown of here's where they're having success and this is what it means I basically said listen they've got belief from a championship last year They've got new uniforms, which made them feel a little bit fresh and excited going into the season, which never hurts, especially with guys that it seems like you introduce new uniforms and it it creates a jolt of energy for whatever that's worth. You've got the 150th year of, of Argonauts football, the celebration of the history of the organization, which seems like that's given them some perspective on, oh, wow, this is really special. Like we're doing this for the first time in 88 years where we're 6-0 kind of thing, uh, which, by the way, funny part at the end of that article that I wrote was that I meant to say that the last time that uh, the Argonauts were 6-0 and 88 years ago, that bacon was 25 cents a pound. Um, I forgot to put in the decimal point, so it actually reads as $25 a pound. I'm like, ooh, that, that reads pricey. Uh, <laughs> Oops. Yeah, not not so sure about that one. I don't know if anybody's caught that, but I, I did when I read back through it. And I was like, ah! Uh, but I ended up kind of looking at the big picture of this. I'm like, special teams are solid. Defense has got a ridiculous amount of turnovers they're creating. And yeah, the offense is holding their own. Running game is supporting them. They're doing well on first down, whether it's through the air or on the ground. What is, what is the Argonauts' offense if Chad Kelly goes down? It's now oh. it's now a running attack with Cam Dukes. Yeah, like, they're and, in the and, same boat. Everybody but BC's in, right? And that's, if they lose their starter. That's the question. Is like Toronto's really the only team that hasn't been hampered by either starter injury or starter poor performance? <laughs> Edmonton. Uh, and so I am wondering if Toronto ends up facing that kind of adversity, can the defense really carry them through like a six week period? If Chad, you know, rolls an ankle or something. Yeah. And and that's, I think the question here, and that's why when you talk about Toronto, BC, Winnipeg, whoever wins the season series, I think is the best team in the CFL. I have no doubt that Winnipeg ends the season as the best team in the CFL right now at the end of the regular season, like wins the West sets himself up as usual BC will be chomping at their ankles like they always are. Calgary, we'll see if they can figure it out. I don't have any belief in Saskatchewan or Edmonton at this point in the year. And in the East, it's like it's Toronto and everybody else. Because there's just going to be the typical Toronto, like Ottawa beats Hamilton, Hamilton beats Montreal, Montreal beats Ottawa. They're just going to keep trading wins and losses and going like this in circles and circles and circles. And Toronto's just going to get enough wins to win the East Division. And then it becomes a question of, at the end of the year, are the Argonauts good enough to repeat? Is Chad Kelly healthy, and is that defense good enough to somehow take down BC if they were to upset Winnipeg and or Winnipeg? Like, that's – we're sitting here at the beginning of August. We've still got August, September, October. Like, we're four months away, essentially, from the Grey Cup. That's the question to me at this point. I've seen enough football yeah. to know, to your point, it's Toronto, BC, and Winnipeg that will be playing in the Grey Cup in Hamilton come November. Yeah, uh, unless there's some sort of shenanigans in the East Final and Toronto falls on its face – uh, th- to me, there were only on the Chad Kelly point, there were only two teams for me coming into the season that were not totally screwed if they lost their starting quarterback. And they were Hamilton because Matthew Schiltz, but they've now had multiple quarterback injuries. And what do you do with that? And then uh, BC as well, because Dane Evans, you we've talked about this. I'm not the biggest Dane Evans guy, but as far as I mean, he's a top nine quarterback in the CFL in my mind, which means he could well be starting for some other teams and to have him behind Vernon Adams, who's also a top nine quarterback. I thought, okay, you're, you're covered in that case, but Calgary, Tommy Stevens, uh, Edmonton. I, I didn't, their quarterback situation is a whole thing. Trevor Harris going down in Sask has been brutal for them. They're, they're done. If Winnipeg lost Kolaris, 
I, I Drew Brown's a great guy, uh, but Zach Kolaris is the MLP of the CFL. And just, I don't know what that would look like, but it would not look the same. So everybody, I mean, now it's just a race to stay healthy. I like to, it's just, let's, let's, how can we be healthy? If you're the bombers, how does Kolaris stay healthy? How does Jackson Jeff coat uh, play more than 12 games this season, which has been his exact number the last four years. If you're, if you are Toronto, uh, we got to keep Chad Kelly, Kelly healthy. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else are there. Winton McManus needs to be healthy at the end of the season. Um, Jamal Peters missing this week. We'd love him to be healthy. That back six, let's keep them in one piece. Uh, there are just, if it's, if it's Kelly, it's, it becomes the question mark and we spin the wheel of, is it, is this Tyree Adams or is this Taylor Powell, right? Yeah. Is it a guy who will perform? Is it Dustin? Is it the crumb back in Toronto? Like something like that. We start thinking of nicknames, uh, or is it okay? Now we're, we're in a lot of trouble, right? Uh, and we're, we're investigating. So yeah, it's. It's now of those three teams. You just, just how can we stay healthy for the for the playoffs? Because the the West, we were saying this. Let me throw this to you, Marsh. I had this as the hot take in the pregame show yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Only two teams in the West will finish above five hundred. Oh man. Agree or disagree? Well, two and uh, well, five, Calgary. Three and four, Sask. Zero oh and eight, Edmonton. Uh, well, I know well, one that Calgary is about to look a lot better when they play back to back weeks around Labor Day against the Edmonton Elks. Uh, that's going to be that's going to. They might be two and eight by that time, though, right? Or it's three true. and eight. Oof. It's true. Yeah, especially. I mean, this Toronto Calgary game tonight is actually pretty interesting for Calgary's like larger outlook. I think, but despite the fact it's not a divisional opponent, I still think it will carry a lot of weight in the next month or so. Um, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> Calgary hasn't had a losing season since when? Like they oh seven. Yeah, so 2007, I was trying to remember off the top of my head because I, I was talking about that with Dwayne Ford yesterday, and he was just saying, like, I think Calgary's going to sort their stuff out, but I'm like, they're the swing vote on that one, right? If you're doing the over-under of two and a half, the two and a half in the, right in the middle of that is the Calgary Stampeders because Saskatchewan's not getting to 500. Edmonton's not getting to 500. And that's why people were saying, oh, wow, the crossover could be alive. <laughs> and it's like, we were actually had this conversation during our Zoom yesterday with my producer and Dwayne and, and Matthew Schnee as well, where we're like, can you imagine, and again, we know this is not going to happen, so before everybody in Western Canada decides to light this podcast on fire, uh, can you imagine Hamilton as a crossover team, like having to go in and play against like Calgary, uh, or sorry, on the road against... Uh, Winnipeg or BC. Yeah, Winnipeg or BC on the road in, like a, in a semi like that, replacing Calgary, Saskatchewan, and Edmonton kind of thing. And then it's just funny to think about how people in the GTA, Ticats and Argos fans would be like, oh my God, we... We might get a Ticats Argos Grey Cup in Hamilton. Can you imagine? It's like, no, I cannot imagine because that will not happen because Hamilton will not beat BC and or Winnipeg in back-to-back weeks in order to make the Grey Cup. So even if yeah. a crossover does happen, if if somehow Hamilton were to squeak by and get that spot. But I also think Montreal is probably better set up, which again, Saturday night, Montreal-Hamilton. I think mm-hmm. Montreal's better set up to be the team that crosses over than Hamilton at this point. I would expect Hamilton and Ottawa to be the bottom of the East Division the way it looks right now. Yeah, I think Hamilton probably plays Toronto four times this season, which may be their undoing. Is you yeah. you'll have to get to nine and nine. Just on the Calgary part, currently two and five, two and five, right? Yeah. Uh, they play the Argos, the Lions, the Bombers, and the Argos in their next four games. <sighs> that smells like three and eight, four and seven. Four and seven would be amazing to yeah. take two of those games from the way those teams look. That said, we're depending on how bad Dane Evans' injury was from last night's game because. If they've lost now two quarterbacks, they're <laughs> Dude, they're in a world of trouble. I took the dogs for a walk at halftime, 
imagine my amazement when I came back and they showed a shot of the sideline. Dane was in street clothes and VA had his uniform on. When I left to walk the dogs, VA was in street clothes and Dane had his uniform on. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a third quarterback conversation we need to have there when you're having to dress the injured guy when you intended to never play him in that game. Uh, yeah, but Calgary, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Calgary's two and nine going into Labor Day. Wow, against the zero and twelve Edmonton Elks, like, uh, it's 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 unlikely, but it's not totally impossible because they're two and five going into a brutal part of their schedule. Brutal. Yeah part of their schedule so uh, I, I have hopes for Calgary tonight to to do something to kind of save their season because yes set they they've won 10 games in every 18 game season from 2008 to 2022 and I, how do they, they can't possibly get 10 wins this year I can't that would be a savior of all time yeah. type season yeah no I agree I agree I, I think your hot take is spot on with that one uh, DT's Play-by-play responsibilities are all done for the week. He is wrapped up with a Thursday game. You can hope you get to enjoy a little bit of the August long weekend. Uh, my weekend is Saturday, Montreal, Hamilton in Hamilton. Uh, nice to not have to travel for that one. Uh, the problem is I board a plane out of Toronto at 8 a.m. on Sunday morning, and uh, I am calling the Riders game 11 hours later in Regina. Uh, I'm doing the same day fly in, call the game, fly back out on Sunday but it will be very fun to call a game for you. Thanks to Fox 40 for supporting everything we're doing around here. DT, let people know where they can get a hold of you. Uh, I'm on Twitter at DT on OB. I'm there all the time. Uh, X680CJOB is the place to go for your all your bomber needs and all your reports and me screaming 50 in Doug Brown's <laughs> ear for two hours last night. It was pretty It was pretty great, and now I can't wait to see. Uh, uh, I can't wait to watch them put up only 25 against the Elks, and we go back to going, what's wrong with the bombers? <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.